everyone. Thanks for tuning into Power Athlete Radio. If you're a nutrition nerd, a lady athlete, or anyone who is experiencing a plateau in your training, you need to hear this episode. Rachel Gregory joins us to discuss her approach for fueling for success. She is best known for her work with women who aspire to dial in their diets to get the effective aesthetic and performance results that they want. Here it is, episode 543. Rachel, we, um, we have a mutual friend in the Muscle Maven, and we're excited to explore different things today, metabolic flexibility, nutrition, uh, working with female athletes, so a lot of different topics for you, and we're excited for the opportunity to speak. Yeah, I'm, I'm super excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Let's let's hit the ground rolling. We'd love for you to give a, a quick intro for our listeners, and from there, we'll, we'll start peppering you with questions and explore a lot of topics. Sure, of course. So I, my name is Rachel Gregory. I am a certified nutrition specialist. Um, an online coach. And I guess just a quick run through. I always, I always struggle with the intro because I don't know how long to make it. Um, but I grew up playing sports uh, my whole life. So I was kind of in, um, just dove into that right when I was, uh, you know, <laughs> from a baby on. Um, my dad played football in college and he had two girls. So he was uh, very excited that I was really into sports. And so I played basketball and softball my entire life. Um, I went on to get my undergrad degree in athletic training at the University of Miami, um, and that's where I really got into nutrition. Um, I would say I was kind of into nutrition a little bit when I was in high school, but really started to to dive into it and really um, learn more about it and, and get excited about it and try different things on myself. Um, I did triathlons in college, so I did kind of an endurance sport in college, and then I went on to get my master's degree in nutrition and exercise physiology um, and kind of switched over to CrossFit. Um, so got really into CrossFit throughout grad school. Um, I ended up doing the first uh, human clinical trial looking at the ketogenic diet in non-elite CrossFit athletes. That was my master's thesis. Um, got great results with that, um, kind of dove into the low carb keto space after that uh, study got published, which was back in 2016. Um, so since then I've kind of just been, uh, I, I adopted the ketogenic diet and, and low carb kind of lifestyle for myself, went through different experiments uh, on myself and with clients, kind of found things that worked, found things that didn't work, um, learned a lot along the way, um, and kind of ended up at this place of really kind of honing in on this concept of metabolic flexibility over the past few years. Um, and it's something that I'm very passionate about because I think that, especially with the women that I work with, a lot of them are coming from um, more of that uh, very strict keto approach or just strict dietary approaches and um, really don't know how to incorporate a little bit more flexibility into their lifestyle. Um, and so that's where I come in and, and try to help with that. Um, and then also over the last few years, gotten really into the training side of things, working with a lot of uh, women in, in that sense and um, helping women to learn the benefits of lifting weights and building muscle and everything that comes along with that. So hopefully that was a good enough intro. No, that was great. Uh, I'm really fascinated by the uh, information and more importantly, the results you found working with ketogenic diets with non-elite CrossFit athletes. Do you want to dig into yeah, that? Yeah, do you want to? Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, dude, for sure. I love the macro and the micro. I think it's really fascinating. Cool. So, do you want to just kind of take you through what this yeah. study was? Yeah, please. Or? 
Sure. Okay. So um, in grad school, like I mentioned, um, I went to James Madison University and I had two years there. And really um, the, the kind of premise of this study was that my advisor told us to go into the research, go into literature and find something that hasn't been done before. Um, a lot of my classmates were doing uh, survey type studies and uh, looking at things like that. And I knew that that wouldn't keep me interested for two years. So I wanted to do more of a, you know, hands-on work with people um, and kind of do a clinical trial in that sense. Um, and I was also working as an athletic trainer for James Madison University at that point. So lots going on there. Um, but basically he told us to go into literature, see what's not there. And I found that there was a lot, there was a very, sorry, a very little amount of research on just CrossFit in general. So this was back in 2014. Um, and then looking at um, a dietary intervention that we could uh, bring into a, a non-elite CrossFit population whose main goal at the time and where I was at uh, with that was they were looking to um, really change their body composition, right? They were going to CrossFit. It was just kind of your average Joe, average mom, dad, looking to get a nice, you know, hard workout in loving the community, the CrossFit community, not like your elite CrossFit game athletes. Um, and so their main goal was to just get a good workout in and, um, lose some body fat. And so I wanted to see if a ketogenic diet could help with that. Um, so what we did is we put, uh, we divided two groups, uh, randomly into a ketogenic diet group and a standard American diet group. So we had about 32 participants um, and it was a six week study. And in the beginning of the study, we did performance testing. We did DEXA, DEXA scans, um, took all of that information. Um, and then throughout the six weeks, we tested their uh, ketones. We tested um, their performance and all of that throughout the six weeks. And by the end of the six weeks, we found that uh, the ketogenic diet group was able to lose a significant, a statistically significant amount of body fat compared to the standard American diet group while increasing their performance to the same degree, um, which was a very interesting finding. We actually thought that they, their performance would decrease just because, um, you know, going into the ketogenic diet, we know that there, it takes some adaptation. Um, but we found that they were able to adapt pretty quickly. Um, and yeah, there's a, bu a bunch of different specifics within that. So I don't know if you have any questions. Yeah, no, uh, um, like what were the age groups? Yeah, sure. So it was, they were between, uh, 40 or th I think it was like 35 to 55. I believe that was the, the age range. I have to, it's been, a, it's been quite a while since I've looked back at the study, but it was around that. So did, uh, I mean, when the study came in, I mean, six weeks is a pretty tiny sample. I'm just wondering, like, did you feel that a ketogenic approach was good for uh, non-CrossFit or non-competitive CrossFit athletes that were in those kind of older age ranges? Yeah, so it definitely was. I mean, six weeks is like a drop in the bucket, right? And I wish that the study could have been longer, of course, um, but that was kind of the time frame we had. Um, going into it, I honestly didn't know what to expect. Um, I had put myself on a ketogenic diet for a period of time before that, just so I could kind of test it out on myself. And this was also right before keto got kind of popular. So this was back in 2014, right? So, um, keto was, you know, we know within nutrition things ebb and flow, but it was not what it is today, obviously. And so, um, it was still kind of like that newer kind of hot topic, um, 
And so I kind of made some mistakes myself. And one of the biggest things that I found putting myself through it before we went into the study was the electrolyte side of things. You're just making sure that sodium um, was definitely, you know, they stayed on top of that. And so going into the, the research basically, or sorry, going into the study, basically I told them uh, the keto group that they need to stay on top of their sodium. That's going to really help them with adapting throughout the first few weeks. Um, and I think that, I mean, just based off of the results that we got, they were very positive, um, within that specific group, they were, like I mentioned, non-elite CrossFit athletes, um, and within a CrossFit workout, um, a lot of people, and this is something I like to, to touch on because a lot of people say, you know, you can't follow a ketogenic diet. Um, uh, it's not optimal for CrossFit, which I would, I would agree with that when we're talking about, you know, elite athletes, but if we're looking at your average Joe going to a CrossFit class, you know, a few times a week, typically that CrossFit class is an hour long. And typically you're only kind of in that glycolytic state for maybe 10, 15 minutes towards the end when you're doing a Metcon, right? So the first, usually the first half, um, or the majority of the class is really looking at working on skill work, um, doing strength training, things like that. And so a lot of people kind of, uh, get that confused with, you know, CrossFit in general. Um, so, yeah, I think the biggest thing and my biggest takeaway from that study was really just like looking at the person, you know, where they're at, what their main goals are, um, where they're at, you know, whether they're they're looking to change their body composition or whether they're looking to increase their performance and um, kind of gauging how they go about their dietary preferences in that regard. So well, uh, what was the macro breakdown? Did you guys follow like more of a traditional ketogenic approach or like more? Uh, well, I mean, we've seen a really interesting uh like, like you talked about the ebb and flow. I mean, I think when I first got presented with the ketogenic diet in 99 through a guy named Mauro de Pasquale and the anabolic diet, I mean, it was real high protein. I mean, almost probably 40, 50% protein. And then obviously make up a, cat, uh, a ton of fat and then a little bit of carb. And I remember, um, you know, we had the Charlie Foundation on years ago with uh, Jim Abrams mm-hmm. um, where, you know, where they were using almost 70% fat and like I think 15% carbohydrate or sorry, protein and then, you know, minimal carbohydrates. So it's really interesting mm-hmm. when you see this ketogenic approach. Uh, I've always subscribed to like a high protein ketogenic, uh, whereas... Uh, and I remember Rob Wolf fighting me on it. And then all of a sudden he comes out with his keto masterclass, which was <laughs> almost the exact protein recommendations that I that I talked to that Morrow talked about, you know, 20 plus years ago. So it's really interesting That'll to see, happen. you know, now it's kind of funny because anything that pulls out carbs, people think is a ketogenic approach. So I'm just curious to know what mm-hmm. your macros were and more importantly, how you spun that towards people. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm definitely, and I've always been kind of in the camp of the higher protein approach. Um, I don't think that, Uh, I think that unless you're trying to treat a specific like metabolic dysfunction or disease, like, you know, epilepsy or Alzheimer's or something like that, like that, where you need a very, very high fat intake because you want your ketones to be as high as possible. Um, I don't think the majority of people need to, to do that. Um, especially if your goal is to like your main goal is health and changing your body composition, things like that. I think protein is super, super important, especially if you're training, right. Especially, um, if you're, you know, in that athletic population as well. So going into the study, I actually just told the participants in the ketogenic diet group. I said, Hey, you know, the biggest thing that you need to do is one focus on keeping your car, your total carb intake under 50 grams, right. To just get you into that lower carb state. Um, and then eat ad libitum, right? So the rest of your food, really, you can divide up however you want with your protein, your fat, uh, 
your calories. We didn't have them on a strict calorie protocol um, with that. Um, so it was just keep your carbs under total 50 grams and really make sure that you're supplementing with a lot of salt throughout the day, uh, especially before your workouts, during your workouts. Um, and so those are the, the two biggest things. But what we found at the end of the study is that when we took, uh, we took three days of their dietary um, intake every two weeks to see where they were at. And then we put all of that data into, like we had them record, you know, a three-day journal every two weeks throughout the study. So we had a total of three, um, three journals with three days. And we put all of that data into a whole, you know, big uh, system where it spit out exactly their macros, all the vitamins, minerals, all that stuff. Obviously it wasn't like completely exact because we know that there's some uh, user error when you're, when you're uh, accounting for those things. But what we found in general, when we compared the groups is that um, both groups actually consume this right around the same amount of protein. Um, the ketogenic diet group, obviously um, they reduce their calories, just ad libitum as they were eating ad libitum. They, you know, we know some of the effects of a ketogenic diet is that it could be appetite suppressant, less food focused, things like that. So they were able to reduce their calories um, in that regard, but their protein was the same between groups, both groups. Um, and what was different was just the distribution of their fats and carbs. Um, and then obviously their calories as well. Um, so they definitely were more in the, the, I don't remember the exact numbers for the protein. Um, but they, it was definitely a, a high a quote unquote, higher protein approach than you would, than I would say the standard ketogenic diet. Gotcha. Um, yeah. So, and, and that's what I would recommend. Like especially when I'm working with clients or just even throughout the years. And for myself, I never really advocate like a high fat approach unless they are specifically looking to increase their ketones to the highest degree possible for some medical reason. What was the traditional nutrition undergrad that you were taught with this? And then did you have any just existential moments or just moment of clarity when it came to, oh crap, this may not be the optimal for people's general health or performance. Yeah. So in undergrad, I actually didn't really explore the ketogenic diet at all. Um, I took a few nutrition classes. Like I said, I went to undergrad for athletic training. I actually thought that that's what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. Tape ankles. An athletic trainer. Really tape ankles for yeah. the rest of your life. <laughs> Yeah, literally. That's what I thought. Um, that's actually why, like I went to the university of Miami because they had one of the top athletic training programs, uh, in the nation. And that's how I convinced my parents to let me go there. Cause I told them that I was like, if you let me go here, I promise you that I would, that I'll get my master's degree paid for me because I'll be able to work as an athletic trainer. And they had like a hundred percent graduation rate of of being able to do that. Um, so that was like my main convincing point to let me go there. Um, and I, I definitely, I enjoyed my time there. I enjoyed, you know, working as an athletic trained student and then into grad school, you know, working as an athletic trainer, but I knew that it like, it ended up not being what I wanted to do uh, for the rest of my life. Um, but within undergrad, like I said, I didn't really explore the ketogenic diet too much, although I wish I had come across it because I was doing triathlon. So I was doing long distance endurance sports. And I believe that has a place there. Um, but as I got into grad school and as I, I kind of played around with the ketogenic diet, um, and then after grad school, I kind of went down this this rabbit hole myself where, you know, I was feeling really good, um, with it. And I, the main benefits that I had were just a lot less food focused throughout the day, you know, more mental clarity, things like that. And I was like, oh, wow, like I don't need carbs. I, I feel great. Um, and eventually got to the point where I wasn't feeling great anymore. I wasn't getting the results I wanted. Um, I also kind of developed this kind of carb phobic mindset where I was 
really just honestly afraid to, to eat carbs. Yeah. Um, no, it's, I went that it's carb far focus. down. It, like it's, it, yeah. I mean, people get into this, like the fear of the carb and like to the point where like they eat some carbs and all of a sudden they're in the mirror and like, I look bloated, man. We took, we mm-hmm. went through this with clients and, uh, and like to the point where I almost wonder like if, uh, you know, and I'm sure you found the same thing, like a more balanced approach tends to be the least non crazy approach where it like mm-hmm. gives people a little bit of flexibility. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I, I've found too. And that's why, you know, a lot of the women that I work with, I've, they've kind of gone through all the things that I went through. And um, especially with when we're looking, talking about fasting as well, because, you know, that's a big part of it, um, a part of keto and, and people adopt that. And that's really why I created uh, my Keto for Women program, which is really just a program that brings a lot of women who have kind of gone down that keto rabbit hole and they found results initially. And then they're kind of coming out the other side and they're like, I got results, but now, now I'm not really sure where to go. Um, and I want to have more of that balanced approach. I want to be able to go out with my kids and get ice cream and not feel like it's the end of the world. Um, and so that's really where that kind of metabolic flexibility side comes in. So, you know, you can adopt a ketogenic diet for, for a period of time, if it works for you. Um, but then teaching you and, and instructing you how to bring those carbs back in so that it works for your lifestyle. So you can kind of get the both, the best of both worlds in the sense of you're able to use kind of the full spectrum of your metabolism. And that's really what metabolic flexibility is in a sense. Um, so yeah, the, uh, it was crazy. I I think I did a blog post about this years ago, but I, I got a whole rash of people reaching out and I did consults for guys that were crossfitting like six days a week. Uh, lifting weights, training, doing ketogenic diet, and fasting. And then they wondered why they had like uh, the testosterone scores of like a eunuch and like absolutely <laughs> smashed themselves. And I did a blog post about it and it was, dude, it was the craziest thing. And I remember being like, if you want to absolutely destroy your androgen profile, uh, fast, ketogenic diet, CrossFit six days a week, three, two, one, go. And uh, yeah. it was just, you know, like it's, it, and um, I think the problem is, is um, I don't know necessarily for CrossFit now, but uh, but back in, you were referencing those early days, the people that were tended to attract it to something like CrossFit wanted to live out on the rails. They were extreme people. And so then all of a sudden you take extreme people that want to do extreme training and, you know, show up into some Fight Club-esque gym and get their fucking ass kicked <laughs> every day. Now all of a sudden, like what's, you know, like what things can I pull out? And there was that whole carb phobe where carbs are evil. There's no, no, no such thing as a necessary carbohydrate. And if that's mm-hmm. good, now all of a sudden it's like, you know, well, fasting is good too. It's just like, dude, it compounded. It was too much information. For our listeners, the blog post in which John is referencing is called Low Testosterone, Cortisol, and CrossFit. <laughs> it's a long road. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what we found. What year was that, dude? That was like 2014? Uh, 16. 2016. 2016. Oh, man. So you were right in, the, in, uh, in, in like the intersection of that. And uh, we, yeah. we found that like it just was unsustainable. And I, I think mm-hmm. you found the same thing. So it's pretty wild. Um, with the metabolic flexibility, like how are you defining metabolic flexibility? Are you talking about just the ability to use both carbohydrates and fat for energy sources? Yeah, basically just being able, like I said, being able to use kind of the full spectrum of your metabolism, right? So when, and be, being able to efficiently switch back and forth, right? So we know like with fat and ketones, for example, using that when it's warranted. So when you're at rest, when you're doing like low intensity exercise, um, when you're just sitting at your desk throughout the day, you know, sedentary, you should really be able to kind of tap into that as your main fuel source versus when you're doing maybe high intensity 
interval training or sprinting on the treadmill, or you're, you know, you're in a stressful situation using glucose and sugar as your fuel source, but being able to kind of switch back and forth. So you're not kind of stuck on either end of the spectrum. And, um, I think the importance of that is just, like I said, you know, just kind of thinking back to, you know, always kind of bringing it back to like practicality and like looking at our overall kind of genetics and things like that. We know that some research shows that, you know, our genetics and our DNA hasn't really changed, like 90 plus percent of it hasn't really changed in like the last 10,000 years. Right. So, um, but the way that we eat and the food access that we have has completely changed. Right. So we went from hunter gatherers to, you know, farming and factory, and that that's been just in the last hundred so years. And so if you kind of think back to that, like we used to be metabolically flexible, just by necessity. Right. So there would be times where we would have food, there would be times where we don't. So we are able to kind of switch throughout that. Um, there will be times, you know, as the seasons change, we have access to higher carb fruit, like fruits and things like that. Um, versus, you know, in the winter, maybe it was more so, you know, animals and things like that. So it's really just being able to efficiently switch back and forth between those fuel sources and really kind of just gauging that based off of like what your personal lifestyle is like, like what your activity level is like, what your, um, everyday life is. And it's also one thing I want to say too, it's not just nutrition too. Like you, you don't just have to, uh, or you can't, you can, you can be, you can become more metabolically flexible through other things as well, not just nutrition. So for example, exercise, right? So working in different energy systems within your exercise training. So, you know, doing work in the aerobic system, doing work in the anaerobic system, um, and really going back and forth between that and being able to switch efficiently without issues. Um, and I think that's one of the the biggest things as well, when it comes to CrossFit, because we know CrossFit is a very highly glycolytic sport, but then there's also times where it's not, um, like we talked about the skill work and the strength work, or even if we're thinking about the elite athletes, like those times when they go on those kind of, you know, half hour, hour long trucks through the different obstacle courses and things like that, like they're not using, they're not in that glycolytic state the entire time. And that's something that a lot of people don't realize too. They think that it's kind of like a switch on and off between that, right. You're, you know, either you're in the your aerobic system or you're in your anaerobic system. It doesn't really work like that. You're going back and forth between that. Um, you are, it's kind of like a dimmer switch, right. Versus like an on off switch. So, um, just, those are a few things to, to kind of be aware of. So how are, how are you getting your clients and the women that you're working with to be more metabolically flexible? Yeah. So a lot of the women that I personally work with are already coming from that keto approach, right? They've already gone hardcore keto. Um, and so they're actually trying to come back to the metabolic flexibility side on the other side of it. Um, whereas most, most people, I guess not most people, but a lot of people and kind of the standard American diet is very high carb, right? So we have, you know, people who might be a little bit more, you know, overweight or insulin resistance. They're probably more on the end where they're metabolically inflexible in the sense of they're having a hard time using fat for fuel and they've maybe never really tapped into ketones for fuel ever. Right. So that's kind of one side of the spectrum, um, versus the other side of the spectrum, which we're seeing a lot more now with keto being very popular is those, those people who are coming from, from that side, and they've actually trained their body to not really know how to utilize carbs effectively anymore, because they've kind of down-regulated the enzymes that are necessary to digest those carbs and absorb them and use them efficiently and things like that. 
Um, and, and then also kind of the emotional side of things, like we talked about the carb phobic side of things there. So it really depends like what side of the spectrum they're coming from, but it all, and, and that's really where, where, you know, you're going to decide, okay, do we need to take more of a, uh, where we're incorporating carbs back in or we're taking them out. And so with that, it's all about kind of titrating them in based off of where they're coming from. Um, and I, for most of the women that I work with, they are, like I said, they are coming from that keto space. So we're looking to bring carbs back in, in the way that makes sense for them in terms of what their activity levels are. So, you know, starting with titrating carbs in around their workout. So pre and post-workout, you know, pre-workout for that you know, energy boost post-workout to help with that recovery, um, help bring cortisol down, things like that. Um, maybe before bed to help facilitate serotonin production and, um, the kind of that calming effect that we know that carbs can have. Um, so those are just some of the ways, uh, in which we do that. And it's really kind of, you know, working with the individual and figuring out like where they're coming from and like what they need from both a physiological standpoint, but also a mental standpoint as well. Cool. No, we did. Uh, I did a talk for the NSCA on um, on metabolic flexibility, and I looked at about ten years worth of research, and had this idea that like metabolic flexibility would be this like an epic guide to help us figure out like the perfect human diet and approach. And as I got to all this research, uh, I was kind of like, I guess you could say underwhelmed, or I was like, oh fuck, this isn't what I thought it was. <laughs> it basically came down to uh, the leaner you are. Uh, the more muscle you carry in, re in relationship to fat, the more metabolically flexible you are, regardless of diet and approach. So it's like fat's oxidative, muscle is extremely insulin sensitive, and uh, the more muscle you have and the leaner you are, the more you can eat. That's kind of why we've seen people that are the lean the leaner they are, the more carbohydrate uh, more carbohydrates they can handle. And so it's pretty interesting we get into this metabolic flexibility. Um, I mean, even to the point where Mar I heard Mark Sisson on Joe Rogan who completely butchered it. And I'm like, how is Mark Sisson not understand this? And he was talking about fasting and all these other things and tricks in terms of like how to create metabolic flexibility when it's like whatever you have to do to get as lean as possible is what allows you to be the most metabolically flexible. And so I think what you're, you know, at least what I'm, I'm gathering is like, hey, whatever the approach is that helps these ladies, you know, not only be able to handle carbohydrates, but it's almost like the leaner they are, the more they can handle. And that happens with aerobic systems, lifting weights and all the other kind of cool pieces of this mm -hmm. bigger puzzle. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it also kind of tends to, 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 like you said, depend on where they're coming from, what side of the spectrum they're coming from. And also realize that like, I don't think there is any way to actually, you know, say, Hey, I'm as metabolically flexible as I can be, you know, there, I feel like that in my eyes is kind of like the end goal, but we're never going to actually reach it because there's so many different things that we can, can do to, and, and it depends on where you're at in your life. And like I said, what your goals are and things like that. But yeah, I agree. I think it's really just, you know, coming back to finding what works for you, but also finding that balance. Um, and, and that's really the biggest thing. Balance is key. Balance is key. I want to focus on communication, and this is to uh, fathers and, and male coaches out there. One point, and I failed. I worked with female teams at Georgetown University, women's lacrosse, and then women's crew. Crew was a weight class sport, so they had to stay under or above a certain weight in the boat. And then uh, lacrosse, as you can imagine, requires a lot of energy. So aiming to convince them to eat I mean, protein and then battling against even back then in 2013 was the vegan diet and just pop popular culture diets. And then for the weight class, like girls had to stay below a certain weight. So what was the, their default, right? Not eating. 
and staying that way. Mm -hmm. And I failed miserably to communicate for her. You failed miserably dealing with women? Communicate with women. With <laughs> yes. In reference to uh, weight, performance, nutrition. And uh, how would you recommend? My fear was creating a fear of calories, food, and was sticking to performance. But that just was not enough to connect to them at this female college age. And, you mm. know, they're leaning more towards body image. Well, uh, man, that's so, I mean, I know, uh, there's a lot. No, I mean, uh, Rachel, I mean, this is such a, like a deep seated problem that we run into. I mean, I, I have two daughters. I've got twin girls that are nine. So uh, I thought I was going to be your dad. And then my wife got pregnant for number three. And I was like, I'm going to be that dad with three fo- with three daughters. And we ended up with a son, which isn't better <laughs> or worse. It's just, you know, it's good to have some variety. But like how, like um, I'm sure dealing with a lot of your female clients, like having to break years and years and years of like misinformation and this and like, uh, you know, diet approaches and Shape Magazine and all the other. I wonder if a lot of this is almost like reprogramming and being like, it's okay to eat this stuff. Like as long as you don't overeat, we're usually in pretty good shape. Yeah, yeah, that's a, a great question. And it is definitely something that I experienced, obviously, myself. And then as well, I was in grad school, I was an athletic trainer for a women's swim and dive team. And we had, I think it was like 35 girls <laughs> that I was working with. And that was, it was a big struggle, especially with, with swimming and diving, you know, they're in their bathing suits and they have, you know, a lot of body image and things like that issues, which a lot of, you know, female athletes do struggle with. Um, and I think it's just, it's one of those things where like the education side of things and like working with the individual for, with what they're struggling with is super important. Um, and really, I think that one of the biggest things aside from nutrition is just looking at everything else that's going on too. And that's what I like to take kind of like this full approach with all of my clients is like looking at their overall lifestyle. Like what is like their stress management, like what's their sleep, like what are these other things? Because these all play into like the recovery side of things and having them just feel good throughout the day. Right. So that, obviously nutrition is a huge piece of it, but the recovery side of things is something that I think, especially with a lot of women, especially if you're kind of more type A like I am, or at least I was, um, we always want to like go, 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 go and do more, do more and think that doing more is better. Right. And not letting yourself recover. And that's a huge piece of the puzzle that I think a lot of people are missing. Um, and you know, I missed that for myself for a while. And that's one of the biggest things I think within college athletics too, is like that recovery side of things. Um, but then coming back to the, the fueling side, like I said, I think it's a really, just really big on education and like explain them to them, like, okay, this is why you need to be consuming this amount of protein, because this is what happens, you know, if you don't consume that, this amount of protein, and, and this is how it's going to affect your performance or just calories in general, right? Like this is why you need this fuel, not only to perform, but to, like I said, recover and be able to, you know, push yourself more. And I think I struggled a lot as I was an athletic trainer in, uh, in grad school, I struggled explaining this to my athletes. And I think that there is, especially in college athletics, I feel like there is just a lot of, uh, or not, not enough education when it comes to nutrition. I think we're getting better at it, but I think there's just still a lot of stuff that people are kind of stuck in the old textbooks and in the old ways of things that it's just, it's a little bit, uh, it's a, it's a big struggle. Um, but yeah, I, it's a hard, it's a loaded question, but I think just education and explaining things and kind of working with the individual, like where they're at emotionally is very, very important. Um, and that's what I try to do with a lot of my clients. I don't, typically work with that many, uh, like, like clients that are 
coming from college or anything like that. Usually my clientele is probably around thirties and, and above. Um, so yeah, I don't really know if I answered your question there, but hopefully that helped a little bit. Uh, do you run into anything with, um, uh, like, a exercise kind of, uh, exercise addiction, food kind of controlling with the CrossFit market where now all of a sudden, like, uh, I have to somehow go and do X workout so I can earn this food because if not, like mm -hmm. I always, um, you know, having been involved in the CrossFit market for a number of years, it almost felt like a safe haven for eating disorders. And, uh, that was a really interesting where all of a sudden, like the micromanaging of the workouts and the micromanaging of the food was all of a sudden like put on a high pedestal. And all of a sudden you're like listening to this stuff and you're like, man, you guys sound like people with eating disorders. So I always thought that like CrossFit was kind of a safe haven for that. And unfortunately we tend to glorify that in so many ways. And that's kind of where I thought it was a little bit dangerous. So. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I mean, again, that's something that I went through myself. Like we can, you know, go down the rabbit holes of these different things and feel like, like I said, more is better or, you know, getting more dialed in on certain things that it has a time and a place. Um, and I think that all comes back, back to, again, like the education of like what you're doing and what is necessary to recover appropriately. And especially with females, like knowing that, you know, we have a little bit more sensitive hormones than men do. We, you know, we go through different cycles throughout our life, throughout the month, things like that. Um, and I think it's very important to, to kind of just the, the biggest thing that I run into is just under eating in general with females, right? So under eating protein specifically, and then just under eating calories, um, especially with those females who are already lean, who are, are, who are already very type A. And it's really just, you know, explaining to them and showing them the benefits of consuming more and fueling appropriately and what that can do with not just their performance, but everything else that, that helps them to perform better. So sleeping better, recovering better, helping to manage their stress, all of that. Um, I think that's, really the biggest thing is just kind of working with that individual and, and figuring out, okay, where are you at right now? And let's, let's work to, if you're, if you're very, very type A and you're very, very controlled about certain things, okay, let's maybe dial that down a little bit um, and see how we can adjust certain things to, to work towards more of a healthier, I guess, relationship you could say with food or exercise or whatever it may be. Are most of your clients proactive and they realize we want, we need to get ahead of this for future health or is a problem already in place that they, they need to correct with your assistance? I would say bo both, <laughs> we have both there. Um, I think, you know, the clients that come to work with me, they're, they're ready to, to make change, right? If you, if you hire a coach, I feel like you know, you are basically taking that first step to say, okay, I I've been doing this on my own for a while and I haven't seen changes or I haven't seen the changes I want. So I need some outside help. That's how I was, um, years ago when I hired my first coach and I still have a coach to this day. I feel like I'm always going to have a coach. Um, just always having that outside perspective because especially with, with females, when it comes to body image, when it comes to things like that, we can get in our head so much. And maybe it's not just with, obviously it's with males and females, but I feel like females are a bit more sensitive to that. So kind of having that outside perspective and having someone say, okay, you know, you're doing this and, and what you've been doing hasn't been working. So let's try something else and see what we can get out of that. Um, so I think it, yeah, I think it just, it's kind of goes both ways with that. So what's the, uh, um, you did, you, uh, text was telling me that, or when we were going through your bio stuff, uh, like a 20 day, 21 day reset on like a ketogenic book that you, uh, that you pushed out. 
Um, do you want to mm -hmm. get in a little bit in that and like who's the market and more importantly, like what are you trying to teach people in those first 21 days? Is it the idea of like focusing on food quality, breaking the cycle and just trying to transition people off this westernized diet? Yeah. So it's really looking at that kind of other side of, you know, the, 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 you know, people that we have now in the standard American diet who are just used to eating higher carbs, like their whole life. They've never really been able to, uh, utilize ketones for fuel or go into that state and, and see how it feels or put their metabolism through that and use that kind of, you know, full spectrum of their metabolism. So the 21 day ketogenic diet weight loss challenge, that's the name of the book. Um, it's really just kind of a, giving them the upfront, like, Hey, here's a plan that you can start to follow for the next 21 days. Here's, you know, some things that I've found in my own practice that a lot of people tend to make mistakes with when it comes to, if someone's looking to go on a ketogenic diet and they just Google something or they hear something from their friend. And so maybe they drop their protein really low, um, or they're doing some activity that doesn't support the, this kind of transition. So the premise of that book was really just like, let me put out the information that I I've seen over the last, you know, years of working within with myself and with other clients, mistakes that I've seen and kind of get that out there in, in a way that makes sense and can educate uh, with the end goal really being like transitioning more to that metabolic flexibility lifestyle, I guess you could say, where you can, you know, dip into ketosis is ketosis. If that's, you know, what works for you. And maybe you're someone who is really, really, uh, maybe you aren't very, very active and you just are looking for, you know, stable energy throughout the day and really like that kind of focus and that mental clarity. Um, you like not having to think about food or feeling like you have, you know, you have to eat every few hours, which we know a lot of people struggle with, um, with kind of that higher carb approach where blood sugar dysregulation is a big thing there. Um, so that's kind of the, the premise of the book. And then it's also, uh, incorporates just, uh, some exercises and things like that, um, to kind of help guide that. But now that you've, yeah. uh, uh, transition a little bit more, what would the book like today, or what would be the book that you would write today on this? I mean, if you were to try to bring people in, is it more something where you're like, Hey, uh, if you focus on a high protein diet, we kind of equate for proteins and, or sorry, for carbohydrates and fats and more look at like total caloric balance and try to figure that piece out. I mean, I'm just wondering like, cause I'll, I'll tell you this, like there was a time where I thought the ketogenic diet was like the approach that everybody should follow. Um, you know, if you look mm -hmm. at the, um, ancestral or like the ancestral health piece of it, uh, you know, like you talked about, like hunter gatherers in different types of the year, obviously would eat more fruits and have more access in the summers where in the winters they would have more. And I always thought that ancestral approach would make a ton of sense. Um, and then as I transitioned more and more and I saw that, like, you know, unfortunately, we're not living those lifestyles anymore. So it's like you, you kind of mm -hmm. have to evolve. And for the most part, the one that kind of struck me is I met people that were eating ketogenic diets that were still overweight and still couldn't, mm -hmm. you know, were still fat. I mean, to say in, in so many words. Or, or people that were eating low-carb diets and were still overweight. And that was confusing for me because I figured protein satiating and they're going to fill themselves up and just naturally eat less calories. And I remember asking Rob about it. I'm like, Rob, why are those people still heavy? And he's like, because they eat like starved hogs. And starved I was like, hogs or dogs? Starved hogs. Like if you starve a hog, you'll fucking eat everything. And so it was a funny point Rob made to me. And I'm like, so you're saying there has to be some form of calorie balance with this. And he's like, yeah, you just can't like sit at the trough and eat all day, regardless of like what it is. Well, that's vegan, John, just cheese sticks. Uh, well, but, <laughs> but you're also thinking they're eating extremely low nutrient dense food. So like, right. I mean, if you like, like if you ever said like, uh, I'm, I'm no, sure, I uh, I know you don't have any vegan friends. Do you have any vegan friends or vegetarian friends that you'll admit to? Uh, 
<laughs> I do, but uh, they're not going to so, listen. No, to this, so, well, so, so what's hilarious? Uh, our babysitter is a uh, vegetarian vegan. And uh, I like we had her over and she was eating and like I basically made her uh, like a salad bowl, like with all of this stuff. It took her like 45 minutes to eat. And I'm like calculating out the calories. I'm like, there's like 300 calories in that bowl. <laughs> I'm like, it's a starvation diet. That's why they look so lunchy. And um, it just was hilarious to me. But I um, I always think, man, like, well, a lot, especially with like even the CrossFit stuff. I remember when I first saw the CrossFit, I was like, this is great. And then you get into it. And the more and more you see, you see that there's like a lot of especially uh, with like the high performer CrossFits or like, you know, the competitive athletes. There's definitely like outliers within it. Whereas if you were to put the majority of the population into those training programs, they implode. And we saw, I mean, injuries and just like, uh, you know, every metabolic issue came up. I mean, we had a huge issue with women in our gym that all of a sudden started developing uh, stomach issues. We're having like terrible gut problems because, uh, you know, the high intensity exercise and the constant bathing of, of, uh, lactate. of lactate was just killing the stomach and was destroying a bunch of like um, um, uh, gut flora. Uh, and with, you know, so that was another big issue running into like gut issues. All these women started having gut issues. So I think it's like the idea that like everything in moderation, the problem is, is when we get out on the rails, we start running into more and more problems. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that's the biggest thing is like, especially with women that I see is just like the, the overtraining side of things. And like, I went through that myself. I actually had to stop CrossFit myself because I what went so far that I got injured and I was forced to stop. Right. So um, that is, is one of the biggest things that I see. It's more so just the under recovering and the, the feeling that we need to, you know, do more and do more. And that's where, you know, if a little bit is good, then more is better. Um, and it's kind of just like switching that mindset when it comes to both nutrition, but also training and also everything else, like within your lifestyle. Um, and that's something that, you know, I had to, it took me years to, to figure out. And that's what I'm trying to, to help a lot of the, the females I work with. Like you can, you will get better results if you take a step back and realize that, you know, for example, if we're talking about building muscle, right. A lot of people think, oh, I need to go to the gym six days a week, train, you know, whatever it may be, because that's where I'm going to build the muscle. But really you're, when you're in the gym, when you're working out, you're breaking down your muscles, right? You're not building muscle. Then you're building muscle when you're sleeping, when you're recovering. And so if you don't give your body the ability to recover and repair, you're literally just doing tons of work and getting no reward for it. Versus if you were to train three or four times a week versus six times a week, you would see a massive difference because you're literally giving your body that time to recover. So, um, that is one of the biggest things that I think a lot of women get fall kind of fall down in, in that sense. And especially when it comes to high intensity training and, and, you know, circuit style classes like orange theory, you know, CrossFit at 45, like there's just a lot, a lot to unpack there. But, um, you recently had a debate with one of our pals, Paul Carter oh. <laughs> on just this thing, high intensity interval training. Can you explain if, uh, did you learn anything from that experience? Where was this debate? Uh, on the line. On the line? Uh-huh. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, I don't know if it was a debate. I was actually agree agreeing with him. Oh, you, you can't was... agree with Paul Carter. You, you can't agree with him because <laughs> then the minute you agree with him, he'll find a way to battle you on something else. Yeah. He'll take the other no, side. No, we were talking... You <laughs> We were talking about high intensity interval training versus low intensity steady state for um, fat loss specifically and how, and, and this is something that, you know, I 
you know, learned in, in grad school actually about, you know, EPOC, right. Mm -hmm. After you're doing a high intensity training, you're going to quote unquote, burn more calories afterwards. So that's why hit is so amazing. And, um, you know, people kind of went to the extremes or like hit is great. Let me just do more and more hit. And who cares about low intensity steady state, um, things like that. And we know just from what I said about before, about that metabolic flexibility side of things, working in the different energy systems is very, very important. Um, for overall health in general, and then also performance as well, because we're, you know, going back between those as we are, um, in our workouts and things like that. Um, but he basically said that, you know, the amount of calories that we would burn in that extra kind of epoch range is, is just very, very minuscule compared to the, the low intensity steady state training. And in my personal experience, especially over the last few years with myself and clients, I've gone way away from high intensity or hit training, um, and only using it, you know, maybe once a week to be able to work in that energy system, work in that anaerobic system and push that a little bit. But when we're talking about fat loss, I found that, um, doing just focusing on overall movement steps, maybe doing some, like getting on the treadmill and doing an incline walk, keeping your heart rate, you know, around a certain range where you're in that lower intensity, maybe like 120, 140, staying there for a little bit, a little bit while, a little bit of a while, <laughs> um, can really help with, uh, facilitating that recovery and getting you more into that, uh, parasympathetic state, right. Versus that sympathetic, you know, go, go, go. Um, I think a lot of people have an issue and have trouble getting into that rest and recovery mode. And so we know that list can actually facilitate that and, and kind of, you know, kill two birds with one stone, with one stone, so to speak in that sense versus, you know, running yourself into the ground with hit training, um, and getting very, very little return. And if not, maybe just putting, pushing things more to the other side where you don't want it. So, yeah, no, the, uh, like, like the early CrossFit stuff was, was really sharp. Like I remember, uh, reading some of Glassman's early stuff where it was like a mix of like weightlifting skill development, uh, aerobic capacity, um, like low endurance, I get on the bike and ride, you know, 20 miles. And then it was like this metabolic conditioning piece. And there was a really, it was really sharp. Like I remember like looking at this and, and even his early stuff and being like, man, like this is like, uh, you know, 45 reps here and just really sharp. And then the problem is, is, uh, I think people realize the hook for CrossFit and what really gets people in isn't like sending people on a 20 mile bike ride or, you know, lifting weights, playing even, new sports and playing new at. sports and like learning new skills. It was, uh, <laughs> let me get my head a crack by just fucking tapping into that metabolic, uh, you know, glycolytic system, which allows for an endorphin response and you create this competition and, you know, next thing you know, you're, you know, stripping down into your underwear. I mean, it's just like all of these things played into it and it went from being like what I think was a really intelligent training system that involved balance into this, like, uh, you know, look at me, uh, I'm going to fucking see how far, you know, see how far I can mm -hmm. torch myself. Can I throw my body on the funeral pyre of uh, glycolytic capacity? And the problem is, is that broke so many people. I mean, we, we saw it in our own CrossFit gym where it was like, we just, the more we programmed it, the more they came, the more members we had and the more shattered people got. Yeah. And it's like, mm -hmm. it's like this weird kind of like, uh, like, dude, like we're fighting people to keep like, we, you know, like people are fighting to come in the door. We can't make enough money, but yet everybody's getting killed. And, and then we, they're starting their own gyms and, and then, continuing this whole and, cycle. And, <laughs> and then we're like, Hey, we're going to lift some weights. We're going to add some balance in this. And all of a sudden, as everybody got better, all of a sudden our member number went down. And it's like, so wait a minute, I got to program these workouts of death and try to kill people 
to get people in the door. Well, nothing has changed, Don. Mm-hmm. Some of our online programming, we got to dose them. <laughs> yeah, we got to hit them with it. No, but it, like it was such a weird thing trying to explain it to people. I'm like, you need some balance. Like, uh, you know, I know, like, I don't want to see you at the gym six days a week. I want you to get outside. I mean, we lived in California at the time. I'm like, go to the beach, go ride your bike, go run on the beach, you know, go climb a mountain, do something away from it. But no, people just wanted 6 a.m., show up, fucking set me on fire and send me out the door. And it was uh, this weird kind of, you know, catch 22 to the point where you're like, I'm just going to sell the gym and I don't want to come here anymore because I can't (laughs) just continue to fucking burn people to the ground. And that was a, an interesting piece. And I, you know, and I wonder if you start balancing this idea of like a really intelligent training system and approach with like, now I got to make money. Yeah. I, I was right there. Like when I first started doing CrossFit, I was like, that was me. Like, I was like, I need to be dead on the floor after every workout with a sweat angel or else I didn't work hard enough. Um, and you can just really, really mess yourself up. And I, like I said, I work with a lot of women who are still kind of in that. And it's, you know, it's unfortunate. Like you can't really, you you have to go through it to realize that, you know, there's a better way to do things. Um, and I wish that it was as easy as like, just trying to drill it into people's brains. Like, Hey, you need to not go a hundred miles per hour, six days a week. Like you have to give your body some time to to chill out. But I know that's like, it's hard because especially when you're someone who just wants to go, go, go all the time, it's like, you know, sitting down and just chilling out for a little bit feels like you, you know, feels wrong, right? It feels like you shouldn't be doing that. And I think that's one of the, it's just a really big mindset shift that needs to happen. And I don't think that it happens overnight for a lot of people. It's like really having someone to, to basically force you to do that before you realize how beneficial it can be. Yeah. For some clients as a coach, it's, you try to inform them, empower them, but then sometimes you just got to let them get hurt. Unfortunately, it's reality. Like, how do you save people like that? That's always an interesting one. Like, um, you know, you're, you know, you've obviously been on the other side of it. You've seen it. Now you're working with clients who are in the same thing. Like, is it that, Hey, I've been there. Uh, you know, this is what happened to me. Don't end up like me. Like, let me help you and take you in transition. And this is a more intelligent approach. Yeah. So, I mean, I went through my own transformation, um, my own body composition transformation a few years ago, as I came out of CrossFit and, um, as I went more into like, Hey, I want to change things up. Like I was transitioning out of that strict lower carb approach, bringing carbs back in, working with my own coach. Um, and so I like learned lots throughout that transformation. That's really what I based my keto forming program on through that. And then also bringing clients through that as well throughout that that two-ish year period of time. Um, and just kind of, as I have a new client coming on, I just explain to them and, and show them the results of people who went from training six days a week to training three days a week and not eating carbs to eating carbs um, or bringing carbs back in strategically, right? And so just showing them that kind of, uh, those, whether it's a transformation picture or kind of bringing them through the process of what it looks like and what they're, what they are going to expect or what they should expect. Um, and just kind of, again, educating them and, and teaching them, you know, the importance of all the things I mentioned before, recovery, sleep, stress management, like all of these different lifestyle factors that a lot of people tend to put on the back end because they're not sexy. You know, no one wants to hear you should be sleeping seven to nine hours a night. You should be maybe meditating a little bit or doing something that brings you into that, you know, parasympathetic mode. Um, a lot of people don't want to hear that because they're like, oh yeah, whatever, whatever. But it's really like, those are a lot of the 
the least sexy things that make the biggest difference over the long term that I've found. What are some tools you use to show your clients? Is it the bathroom scale, a uh, glucose monitor? Like what, what are some things to put it in their face? This is working. Yeah. So it, it depends on the person, but typically the metrics that I track are, um, we're looking at, you know, it depends on what their goal is, right? If their goal is say they come to, a lot of clients come to me and they're looking for fat loss. Um, so if their goal is to, to lose body fat or change their body composition, we're looking at, you know, body tape measurements. We're looking at, you know, pictures, we're looking at scale weight, but the scale is a, obviously a sensitive subject for a lot of people. So it's educating them behind, okay, yes, maybe we're taking your daily scale weight every single morning, but we don't care at all what that number says. We're looking at it on, you know, a trend line, right? We're looking at the average weekly and biweekly um, measurements of that scale weight. And the reason why we're doing it every day is so that we can get an accurate average, right? And so um, that's kind of one thing. It just, again, explain it, explain to them like, hey, these are the 20 different reasons why the scale could jump up three pounds overnight for absolutely like, and have absolutely nothing to do with fat gain. Right. And so it's just educating behind them, educating that, them behind that. Um, and then in terms of other metrics, we're tracking like their sleep, their sleep quality, uh, their mood throughout the day, their hunger cravings, um, performance recovery, how those things are all going and using kind of a, a metric tracker to track those things daily. And then, you know, each week we can kind of look back and see, okay, like how are these on a scale of one to five, how are all these things lining up and how did, maybe your sleep affect this. And this is why, you know, your, your hunger was, you know, skyrocketed, but you got four, four hours of sleep last night. Okay. They can literally see that on paper and say, Oh, okay. That, that makes sense. Maybe I need to sleep a little bit more and I can get my hunger under control or cravings or whatever it may be. So I think with me, the biggest thing is just kind of having that, um, that data there and being able to show them that and, and getting them to get into a groove of, um, realizing that tracking these certain things is very important, uh, especially at a period of time when you're looking to change something that you haven't been able to change in, in a while. So what about food quality? I mean, is that a big, uh, conversation, uh, where you're, you know, getting in and talking about, Hey, you know, this is the foods that I want you to eat from, or, you just letting people kind of work with it within uh, as long as they're hitting their, because you could say their total caloric numbers. Yeah. So food quality is huge. I mean, I would say the biggest thing that I tell my clients is like, okay, you know, if we're looking at your foods, um, we want to make sure that at least 80% of your day is made up of foods that either had a face at some point or grew from the earth at some point. So had a face at some point is going to be an animal, uh, meat, seafood, or obviously something that comes from an animal. So if you're having eggs from a chicken, or maybe I would consider, you know, good quality yogurts and cottage cheese, those are forms of dairy that come from animals, obviously. So had a face at some point or grew from the earth at some point would be your vegetables, you know, your potatoes, things like that. Um, and then that would be what I would say. Okay. Let's, let's start there. Let's make sure that at least eighties and, and it depends on where the person's coming from, right? If they're coming from a highly processed diet, then maybe we're like, all right, let's work on 60% of your day looking like this. And let's work up to that 80%. Um, and then kind of, you know, telling them like, Hey, you know, if 20% of your, the rest of your diet is maybe some other processed foods, but that works within your, your lifestyle and you're still getting all the things that you need from those whole foods, then, then that works. Right. And, 
Um, so that's one of the biggest things that is just kind of for, for myself, kind of diving into their food logs, looking where they're at, um, and then seeing how we can tweak things without completely overhauling everything at once. Um, because usually that's just a recipe for disaster. If you're like, Hey, you're eating this way, let's completely change things. Um, and that's really also like within, you know, the 21 day challenge and things like that. I'm also trying to explain that through like, Hey, if you're coming from this standard American diet, super, super high carb, like we can start to transition things uh, gradually. Um, and so just really kind of looking at the individual and, and seeing where they're coming from and then, you know, working from there. What about organ meats? Yeah, organ meats is, is a hard <laughs> is a hard conversation. Um, I think that's one for Ashley. Um, well, I, 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 I just didn't know if you were supporting your sister and being like, hey, uh, we got to put these <laughs> organ meats. It's a buy big this deal. cookbook. Yeah, buy this cookbook. Uh, yeah. you know, here's tongue recipes and liver and all the other stuff. Yeah. I mean, I'm still, I'm still working on that myself. <laughs> um, it's, it's hard for me. Um, but it's definitely, I think it's beneficial. I think that is definitely for, you know, the more, I guess you could say advanced. So everybody who's got everything else dialed in and, you know, adding some organ meats in here. And for those people who are really, really into that, like, yes, absolutely. And it can be super beneficial. Um, but I think for someone who is coming from a place where they're not already eating 80%, you know, whole foods, how to face at some point, group from the earth at some point, then saying, Hey, like right from day one, you need to eat liver or heart or kidney or brains or whatever. It's like, um, maybe we, maybe we work up to that. Pate. Uh, I feel like the, uh, whenever somebody asks me about eating organ meats, I always tell them like pate, just go to like yeah. whole foods, like in the cheese French section, like just get a little like piece of pate. And just don't ask what's in it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's usually duck li uh, duck livers, which are usually pretty good, but they occasionally have beef liver pate. Ah. You know, on occasion, but yeah, I mean that's like the easiest place to start, and then uh, find a yeah. dope Mexican place, and maybe get into tripe and some of the other stuff. But uh, yeah, no, it's a. But you still owe me a tongue, man. I thought I gave you that tongue. No. Oh, okay. It's it's still in there. Yeah. yeah, so uh, uh, when we were kids, my mom used to make tongue tacos or tongue sandwiches. Now, mm -hmm. so she'd get a tongue and then cook it up, and then uh, I remember like it was like in a big pot, and I remember she would cut, uh, slice it real thin and then put it on um, on like bread with uh, mustard. We eat tongue tacos, and then we had liver and onions once a month. I'm thinking people, I'm like I remember uh, they sent me um, these huge buffalo hearts, and I cooked the buffalo hearts for like two days in the crock pot, and then I cut them up and two I days. Yeah, well. So I cooked it like the first eight hours and then I let it sit for like in the warm and I cut it and it wasn't soft enough. So I just let it sit for a whole nother day in, in the warm. warm. Yeah. That's a good call. And uh, I made it and I fed it to my kids. My kids absolutely crushed it. And my wife's like, don't tell them what it is. I'm like, I have to tell them. <laughs> and as they're like on their third helping, this is the best we've ever had. I'm like, you know, it's a heart. And they just like instantly face changes. My wife's like, why did you tell them? Because like, I have to. That's like my job as a dad is to destroy their dreams and crush everything. Mm -hmm. But they're going to get hard here pretty soon, but I'll, I'll, I'll dig out that tongue for you. Yeah. I got to Yeah. It's going to be fine. I, I have the book. I have muscle yeah. Maven's book. I got to mm -hmm. use it. So what's new for 2021? I mean, uh, uh, like, like new projects, what's on the horizon? How, how are you going to change the world? <laughs> Good question. Um, so right now I think the biggest thing that I'm trying to push is, is really getting women specifically to, to really focus on, like I have, like I said, I have a lot of women coming to you. They want to change their body composition, but they're so, so just stuck in this restrictive mindset, this restrictive cycle, whether it's, you know, 
cutting out carbs, cutting calories, like staying, being in a deficit, you know, years on end. And so with, uh, with Ashley, we came out with the muscle science for one program. We put the first round, um, it's a three month program. The first round went from April to June of this past year. Amazing, amazing results. Um, and from the woman who went through that. So we're looking to expand that and go through, you know, several more rounds, especially throughout, uh, next year. And really we found that that was one of the things that was kind of missing in, in this space, at least from what we found is just like a full kind of educational platform that was just for women looking to change their body composition through, you know, building muscle and through, you know, learning the, the components of that and learning the components of nutrition and making sure that you're fueling appropriately for that. Um, so that's something I'm super excited about. And then I also have, um, the, the program that I spoke about the keto Foreman program is really to help those women who have, um, gone down that strict keto rabbit hole or that strict fasting rabbit hole. And, you know, they're looking to, uh, they have that kind of emotional carb phobic mentality. They're not really sure where to go. Um, and so that's, that's my program, you know, based off of that. And then also working with, uh, clients on a one-on-one uh, basis as well. So that's really what I'm continuing uh, throughout this year and next. Um, so yeah. And podcasting. And podcasting. Yes. And podcasting. Well, yes. It is, uh, is the end game for the ladies? I mean, like, uh, it, is it always the same? Like, um, uh, is it, you know, obviously uh, like lose weight, less scale, or is it just to be super fit and look fit? Uh, and the only reason I bring that up is like, um, my wife is, uh, in phenomenal shape. Like she's, she's fucking shredded. Like if I could be in a good shape with my wife, I would be static. <laughs> uh, everywhere we go, women stop and ask her what she does for her arms. Like it's, it's insane. We were out in California and she must've got stopped six times by women asking him like, how do I get arms like that? And I asked her, I'm like, is that what women's biggest concern uh, power is? Powerathletehq.com slash yeah, training. And, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, but it, it's, it's pretty interesting. Like, whereas dudes just want to like. I just want to be big. I want to be strong. I want to be muscular. Like, like guys are more like overall, whereas women are like, I just want those arms. And I always thought that's such mm-hmm. a funny, interesting, like such a, a weird, I'm like, do women always ask you about your arms? She's like, yeah, all the time. I'm like, really? That's, and she's like, that's like a huge focus for women is having nice arms. I think women are all afraid of having like the granny, like old fat arms. And I was like, wow, that's, that's different than guys. So I just wonder, like, what's the focus and, and like, what, like, like, how do women know? Is it like that they've hit their progress? Is it scale weight? Is it how they look? Is it their significant other? Or is it women stop them in the grocery store and ask them how they get jacked arms? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think the biggest thing there, and, and I've, I've gotten that a lot too, as well. Um, and I think it's just realizing that like a lot of women, you know, want to, Ashley and I always joke about this term and I'm sure you guys do too. look toned, right? Like I want to be toned. Right. And they think that they need to just continue to restrict, continue to, what does that mean? You know, like, what is that tone? Like, good question. Like when I hear it, you know what I think of? I think of, uh, um, singing. I think it's singing. No. Uh, what was the movie with John Travolta with, uh, there's a lot of them. Uh, no, it was the 70s one where he's like, uh, Saturday night fever. No, it, it was after Saturday night fever when he's the, like, it's the one after Saturday Night Fever where he goes to New York to be a professional dancer. Continue making your point. Okay. Well, in there, like, like, like all they do is aerobics, and like that's like whenever I think of like I want to be really toned, I just picture Jamie Lee like, Curtis is in it. Yeah, but I don't know the title. I just know the uh, them dancing. Me, dude. Googling. Rogan's guy Stall. is way fucking Stall. faster than you. Jamie is way better than you. Ask, ask uh, Charles. Guy. I thought you were our Jamie. 
no, but uh, like that's kind of what I always thought was like aerobics. I want to look really tone. And uh, I think it's because mm-hmm. back in the day, and I looked this up, they had toning classes where you <laughs> go to aerobics for toning. And uh, I hear that one and I'm like, oh, it's like the other one. I want to look really fit. That's another one I've heard. And I always oh, ask yeah. people, I'm like, well, what is fit? Like, what's fitness? Uh, like, I, I think the worst thing that the CrossFit ever did. capacity. To increase work capacity, broad time, motor domains. Yeah, it. Uh, you know, Glassman uh, identified fitness and kind of created a self-serving version of, Chris, of fitness for CrossFit. But I always thought fitness was extremely personal. Like, your version of, like, how fit you need to be or what your fitness is to do, you know, whatever you want to, whether it's triathlons or you know, climb Mount Kilimanjaro and flip-flops, whatever it looks like. And what mine looks like is different than his and this. And so fitness becomes this ultra-personal thing. So when you ask people, like, I want to look tone, I want to like, like, what does that look like to you? Can you show me a picture? Like, uh, you know, and I've, you know, we run into this constantly with clients, like, hey, I want to do X, Y, and Z. I'm like, can you show me a picture of what you're going for? And let me know if that's attainable, at least within the diet and the training spectrum, because there's some shit that's probably going to take some wizardry and drugs. And there's other people we can kick <laughs> you over to for that stuff. Yeah, no, I, I would, I would ask the same thing too. I'm, I'm like, show me a picture. Um, but I think the biggest thing with women and, and especially like get, they want to get arms that look toned or whatever it may be. It's like, you have to lift weights to do that. You have to, you know, put yourself in a, a place where your body is going to repair and rebuild. And that means eating enough food and, and going through that cycle versus thinking that, you know, you can just continue to restrict and you'll get those toned arms if you lose the body fat. But if you don't have any muscle under that body fat, you're not going to look the way you want to look. And that's one of the biggest, you know, pieces that I try to, you know, hammer into my clients heads because I went through that myself. Like you have to spend time, you know, building muscle and spend time at maintenance calories or in a slight surplus and not be afraid to maybe see that scale go up for a little while, because that is the necessary part of putting on muscle, right. It doesn't just pop out of nowhere. Um, and so I think that's one of the the biggest things from the education side of things is just like, I think a lot of women, and I feel like we've gotten away from this a lot, but a lot of women think like, if I lift heavy weights, like with my arms, I'm going to get big and bulky and you know, that whole I love, thing. I love the, that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we run into women all the time that are like, Oh, if I lift weights, I get huge. I'm like, dude, I've spent 30 years of my life exactly. trying to get as jacked as I can. <laughs> And it's not that fucking, e- oh, I, I lift weights once and I pack on muscle so easily. I'm like, oh, you're, I, and I'm always yeah. like, you're, well, you're the one. You're, you're the Neo of the gym. <laughs> uh, I'll gladly send your card around. So for whatever genetic adaptation you have, we can fucking clone it. Uh, it it's, man, like. I have an answer to your question. What is it? Well, the first movie following Saturday Night Fever was Grease. Okay. Which is awesome. The movie in which you're referencing is called Perfect. Ah, oh, that's 1985. It. Yeah, they they do a lot of aerobics in that movie, and uh-huh. I think that's what the toning came from. Mm. Mm. So we blame but it. They on. look great. Yeah, <laughs> like <laughs> Travolta was an incredible dancer. Still is. He still is. I mean, you see, you him, see get, him in a commercial. It, it, I don't know what it was for, but I, I don't know. The whole shaved head thing weirds me out a little bit with him. What do you got to do? Yeah, he went all in. He committed. <laughs> so, uh, Rachel, if people want to get more information and uh, for our, you know. Oh, huge demographics of female followers, which I wish we had a pretty decent amount. Uh-huh. Uh, where can people find you? And if they're interested in getting more information, how can they connect? 
Yeah, sure. So I have my own podcast. It's called um, Metflex and Chill. And that is all about bringing guests on from all different areas within the nutrition and fitness world and kind of getting their perspectives and expertise in different areas. Um, and then I also have my website, which is metflexlife.com. And that has all of uh, my programs on it. The ones I spoke about, Muscle Science for Women, Keto for Women, which is really more so that metabolic flexibility side of things and more so the nutrition side. The Muscle Science for Women is uh, more geared towards training and also has a nutrition component to it as well. Um, and then I am most active on Instagram. My handle's at rachelgregory.cns. Cool, cool. Well, thanks, Rachel. For uh, I, I oh, guess sorry. fun questions. Like what is okay. one, this is, so cliche. I'm ashamed to ask this. Dude, if you're ashamed, I'm ashamed. What's your cheat meal? Oh, man. What's your cheat meal? You allow yourself. No shame. Tongue tacos? Yeah. She's like liver and onions? Oh. Um, I would say, and this is a definitely a cliche answer, like I try because I've gone through that period of like having those cheat meals and like, you know, going through that whole side of things. But now I just kind of like allow myself to have these things and not really make a huge big deal about it. But I would say probably like something that is, you know, less frequent in my diet is probably just cookies and cream ice cream. Um, that's like, I love that. <laughs> um, that would probably be like my ultimate. And then I guess favorite organ meat recipe that uh, you've been guilted into trying. <laughs> She's like, I've never read the book and I've never <laughs> eaten the organ meats. Uh, no, I, I have, um, it is again, something that I'm continuing to work on. Um, I would say, uh, chicken livers in the air fryer. Mm. Those are pretty good. You season them up pretty, pretty well. Um, that would probably be, yeah, that would probably be my favorite. Mm. Interesting. Nice. I have chicken livers. I like I it. Chicken hearts, but not the chicken livers. In the well, air. what's weird is that's my nickname for you is chicken liver. I don't get it. I don't know. It's, it's a good nickname. Right. <laughs> I have a nickname every podcast, Rachel. So this is a, yeah, this, this will be a new one. I'll be like, hey, chicken liver, get over here. All right. <laughs> well, I think you're better than that, John. <laughs> that I don't know. That's that's all I got. Or which Rachel, what's your favorite movie? We need a movie recommendation. Oh, for this yeah, week. we oh, do. We, need, we do need a movie rec. We didn't do one last year or uh, last week. So we do a movie recommendation every week. And uh, I think you're a genius oh, now because we're getting to the point where we're like, fuck, we got to start asking our guests. I know. Well, it may be Perfect starring John Travolta and <laughs> Jamie Lee Curtis. Or Have you seen Perfect with, you, with Travolta and Jamie Lee Curtis? I don't think so. Uh, it's probably on YouTube. Where uh, where you live or where are you dialing in from? San Diego. Oh, from San Diego. Currently. Okay. Yeah. Oh, man. Favorite movie. <laughs> this is going to – can it be favorite movie like from uh, like my entire life? Yes. Okay. Uh, this sounds so corny. Um, I grew up loving basketball uh, and I was obsessed with the movie Love and Basketball. And that's always the one I go back to when someone asks me my favorite movie. Love and Basketball. Um, Who was in that? Uh, Omar Epps. Uh, yes. Yeah. Omar Epps. And that's like a, an old, an old, very old one. Um, I was thinking Basketball Diaries for a second with Leonardo DiCaprio. And I was like, you watch that as a kid? <laughs> no. uh, Coach Carter is also a, a, a great one yeah. overall. Um, uh, what, lots of basketball. What movies. was someone with Gene Hackman and the uh, uh, Hoosiers? Hoosiers? God, that's, my, that's one of my favorites. Mm. Uh, well, I mean, that's a good debate. The best basketball movie. Ooh, we could bring that one up. Mm. Uh huh. Mm, I'm in. Basketball Diaries. Yeah, Basketball Diary, Love and Basketball. Oh my 
you're going to send us on a tailspin. Well, so that's your final answer? Love in basketball. Yeah, I can't think of anything else right now. My brain is not working on that sense. <laughs> What's that uh, dance movie you like with um, that Julia? Patrick Swayze? No, it was... Um... Step Up? Yeah, that's one. Step Up. Oh, that's, Ooh, that's a that's good one, one too. Like. Yeah, I mean, break Every dance, week. Every break week. Break dance fighting? <laughs> What's wrong? Uh, oh, basketball movie. I watched this recently. I'm going to go Ben Affleck's new one. It's called The Way Back. Have you seen this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, I've seen Ooh, that. It was good. And then that was good he got game. Uh, I do like he got oh, game. Oh, yeah. My favorite part of that is Denzel in, in the script. Ray Allen's supposed to win and beat his dad 10-0. So in the script is written in that. And Ray Allen, inexperienced actor, he's a basketball player, thinks like, all right. So then Denzel just freaking takes his A game at Ray Allen and surprises him and scores three in a row. And Ray Allen's like honestly shocked. So they got that reaction for the movie and put it into the final cut where Denzel just like takes him for three. Eventually, you know. But Dude, uh, we watched this week, uh, we watched uh, the Disney Cruise movie, uh, Jungle Cruise. Jungle, yeah, I, I have seen uh, it. I, as much as a fan of The Rock I am, I just have a hard time seeing him as a love interest. It's so uncomfortable watching him kiss. Like there's like him in... Um, Emily Emily Blunt. Blunt. Yeah. I don't know. Just weird. Uh, well, the kids didn't even like it. They're like, ooh. They, they, my opinion on this movie. Have you heard of this movie, Rachel? Uh, Jungle uh, Cruise. Disney Jungle Cruise. I've heard of it. I haven't seen they it. They tried too hard to make it the Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> they did try to make it's it Pirates of the Caribbean. There's a curse. Uh, like they, it's, it's, there's a whole bunch. Of, it's, yeah. like Too long. It, did you watch it? I did. Yeah. Yeah. Too long. Not for me. Cool. Anyway. All right. Thank well, you for joining us on Power Athlete Radio. Yeah. Until next time. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. You can follow Rachel on Instagram at rachelgregory.cns. Until next time. Bye.